RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Hi, Jeff. I'm so glad to see you. Hi, Lindsay. Long time no see. <laughs> uh, my name is Lindsay Slocum, and this is Closing the Distance. And every at the beginning of each week, we get together with whoever preached last week, and we ask them lots of questions about the sermon. And this it gets to be my turn this week, and, and which I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm here with Jeff, who preached a fantastic sermon yesterday on the Confession of 1967. We're working our way through uh various creeds and confessions in the book of confessions for our denomination and it's been a really fascinating sermon series so i hope that you're getting a lot of really good feedback on this sermon series yeah i think i think people more than anything it's just they're they're surprised it uh it hasn't been extremely boring (laughs) (laughs) but well you're going to spend you know 10 nine weeks or whatever on creeds and confessions of the history of the faith you know, their eyes roll back, but it's been, yeah. And I think part of the th- fun thing is I've learned a ton. And I think the other preachers have, um, you know, cause we had cursory, you know, superficial surface kind of understanding of it, of these creeds and confessions. But once you kind of mm-hmm. dig in and try to get, okay, what were the historical consequences? What is the context they come out of? What, what questions are they trying to answer? All of a sudden it's like, oh, this is really interesting. Cause I do, I care about this too. I have these questions and and it's comforting to know that somebody else who's really thoughtful and of good heart, um, who's smart, trying to think through it, has also spent time thinking about this, and we can glean the fruits of their labor. So I think that that's helpful. Absolutely. Well, and I know we keep saying this, and, and we'll continue to say it, but I think constantly speaking out loud, this is how God is at work in the midst of these things, is just a really important faith discipline even. And so to see those who have gone before us, to see them do it, and it continues to call us to doing that too, just constantly naming how God's at work and naming the truths. You know, Lord knows that we need to be able to do that in the midst of all kinds of changing times. So it's it's mm-hmm. just a helpful continual call back to faith, I think too. Absolutely. Okay. So the confession of 1967, um, this one, this creed, one of the things that's different about this creed than a lot of the other creed, maybe almost all of them that's in our book of confessions is most of the time they name the creed or confession after a place where something has happened or um, or some other name. But this one is the only one where it's, it's that date. So it's the confession of 1967, which I think was done intentionally. I don't think it's just they couldn't come up with a good title. I think it was done on purpose. And so to your point earlier, I think that the kind of historical context and what's going on in that time is particularly 
um, important to this one. And so I don't know if there are particular things that are going on around there, either in the church or in culture that you want to highlight. I will say in the beginning of the confession, I did look this up um, in the sixth paragraph of the um, of C67. Oh, I have it memorized. Are you there? You want to just like let no. us know real quick what it says? I'm just kidding. I don't. Um, but anyway, that sixth paragraph says, God's reconciling work in Jesus Christ and the mission of reconciliation to which he has called his church are the heart of the gospel in any age. But then I thought this sentence was so interesting. Our generation stands in, mm, it's, this is one of those words I stumble over, peculiar. Mm -hmm. Our generation stands in peculiar need of reconciliation in Christ. Accordingly, this confession is built upon that theme. Um, so it's all going to be about reconciliation and, um, and redemption. But I just think it's so interesting that they, as they're writing this confession, they specifically call out their generation and what's going on and so i don't want to miss what's going on historically or, or during that time so i don't know if there's any of that you wanted to speak to well yeah i mean i think it's interesting because it's an american confession so this is uh, this is the first one we've done in our book of confessions it also coincides with the collection um, and publishing of the book of confessions okay yeah yeah so all Good. these confessions are brought together um now let's think about 1960s in the United States. You got race, you got militarism, you have um, social turmoil, you have economic turmoil. So you have all of this, and then you know the American church is having to deal with, you know, the beginnings of what will become its. Some people call it secularization, dechristianization, um, and some people see this as a negative thing. Some people see it as a positive, but the church. It, um, there's a lot of blaming going on in the church uh, of one another um, the, between liberals and conservatives. Um, and so, and, and those terms are very different how we understand them now, I think, than maybe right. back then. Right. And we, I think we, we think we're the only one, like these are the worst times that it's ever been, you know, not 2022, look at how people are fighting and they're arguing and we can't, we can't come to consensus between left and right. And it's like, no, I mean, in the church, in America, human beings like to argue and fight and disagree and we're really good at it. And so I think what the beautiful things about this confession is it says the point of the gospel is to reconcile us to one another. And so how can we be reconciled to one another and to God? God has done his peace, uh, God's peace in Jesus Christ. How, mm -hmm. we, how can that be made true in our own community? Mm -hmm. I am um, memorizing history is not something I'm very good at. And so I wanted to figure out how to contribute to this particular piece of the conversation. So I looked a couple things up for you in 1967. Um, that's when the Doors album, so named Doors, I guess it came out. Um, and Respect by Aretha Franklin. Right. Elvis and Priscilla Presley got married that year. The Carol Burnett show came out that year. So lots of really important things. But uh, also to your point, um, there were, I mean, it, it was listing out the various uh, race uh, and riot things that were happening tampa buffalo new jersey detroit all over the place you think 1968 um, you know martin luther king jr is going to be assassinated i mean yes I mean, yes yep yeah. and we're in the middle of the vietnam war and the cold war the space race just a lot of 
a lot is going on. And think about the Cold War, you know, like I mean, we take it for granted. We forget what, I mean, I, I'm kind of, you know, I was born in 1978. So I, I, I remember somewhat the fear of the Cold War, much more probably like looking back from movies and stuff like that. But I mean, that was really scary time when you were wor worried about nuclear proliferation and, um, and, you know, a, the bomb and all of this kind of stuff. So I think that uh, if you think about that instability in it, um, the instability of those times, it helps us see why this confession, they're like, we need to write a confession. Absolutely. And, and I mean, and to the point that you were just making, we, we have spent the last two years, three years talking about how everything feels unsteady and unstable and all of the changes and um, how we're just the kind of constant feeling of unsettledness that we feel kind of all the time. And we've, we've, we've been talking about how we feel that certainly in the world with all the things that have been going on, but even in the church, right? The church doesn't feel settled anymore. And so the, I, I mean, this confession then is completely perfect to, and actually, oh, I made notes about it somewhere, but um, there were, this, the confession that there are parts where it's talking about reconciliation with race, um, nationality, classes, even um, it even addresses sexuality in the confession of 67. So all conversations that are happening, very much happening in 2022 as well. So I'm just wondering, as you were reading and studying the confession and working on your sermon, when you began thinking about how what is it, what does it say very much in particular to us today as a a country, I guess, or as a people, when we think about even the politics or our culture or whatever, like, how does this really apply to what's going on there as well? Well, okay, so one of the things I think is, if if 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, uh, so we are, you know, Christ's ambassadors, this kind of language, then I think, what is the point of our mission? Is it to defeat the other one? Is it to kill the other one? Is it to uh, prove them wrong? Is it to beat them over the head with uh, the truth or, or whatever it might be? No, it, the point is to be reconciled. The goal is reconciliation. And so if that is the goal, what are the steps we need to take to get from here to there? Okay. And so I think, and for me, I think um, in places where there's deep conflict, Oftentimes for somebody like me, it involves, which is kind of ironic as a preacher, but uh, to start, start by listening. And where's somebody else coming from? Why do they feel this way? Mm. Why, what have they experienced? What, what, are the, what are their reasons for why they're saying this or believing this? And I think in, and in doing that and exchanging reasons, hopefully we can come to a place where we both are on common ground. And when we get to that common ground in the church, I hope it would be uh, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. And if that's our common ground, then from that foundation, how do we build up and reconcile, um, you know, whether those uh, are, um, questions of class, economics, race, tribalism of some sort. Mm. And so um, that's kind of, that's my general um Kind of understanding of what the point is i think and what what this confession can say to us for all of life find jesus christ at the center that gives us a common foundation and a common center 
and then we can re if we will be reconciled there then we can build on that uh for further reconciliation in the other areas of our lives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well and one of the things that i really appreciated yesterday um kind of on that note when you were talking about unity and reconciliation and, and even as you're talking now about hearing another person or or hearing another perspective there's not ever a point where either scripture or you in your sermon nobody is ever calling us to sameness but um unity and reconciliation which is very different than everybody agreeing or saying the same thing yep yep and i think i think to find the dignity of difference and that it doesn't mean we've got to be what what is that book um that came out a number of years ago uh same kind of different as me Mm -hmm. And you have the the um the, the materially poor guy who's kind of living on the streets becomes friends with a, like a big time art dealer, and in their friendship they begin to learn that they have so much in common. They build this really cool friendship. I heard them give this fantastic talk a number of years ago, and um, cool. and same kind of different as me. I love that phrase that um that we can find unity in, in surprising places, but we have to take the time, we have to be vulnerable and we have to be willing to listen and to be empathetic and have to have imagination of what it's like to, to be somebody else or to, as best we can. Yeah, yes, that's good. And that, I like that you just used the word imagination because while you were talking, I was thinking, I, I think what's really hard for me anyway is thinking about really, practical ways of what that looks like like and not practical ways and how to appreciate another person i think that i think that i can figure out a way to appreciate someone else and someone else's perspective what i have a really hard time with is figuring out then how do we move forward and function in a way that is really helpful because we still have to make decisions right like we still have to people are still going to make laws or policies or whatever we start to figure out how to function as a culture um so I like that you use the word imagination in there. I'm wondering, is that part of what we, how do we do that? Like how we get real practical about functioning. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, you'll hear, um, I, I think imagination, like, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think like certain kinds of art, like literature, movies, if, you know, I, I can't tell you how many, like, uh, let's say like, was like Apollo 13. Wasn't that the Tom Hanks, you know, movie? I don't know what it's like to be an astronaut. Right. <laughs> right. But in right. watching that movie, all of a sudden I had this like compassion for their families, for, mm. for the fear that must have been. Then all the people on the ground who are trying to come up with ways to get these people back close. Well, maybe this is why it's important to learn science and to <laughs> no math, right? You know, if they right. sling shot them back to earth. And I think like, and I never would have imagined what it was like to be an astronaut or part of NASA until seeing that movie. And I think like, there are so many times of movies in other countries, cultures, times that, that or, or books, literature, fiction and nonfiction, experiencing that helps me imagine what it's like. And then that, um, that gives me an empathy, I think that I couldn't have had otherwise. And um an imagination for what my life could be or my kids life or the friends i could have or what i could learn um so i think that's one of the great things about art and really good art helps us imagine a world that we may not inhabit yet in our own like kind of small uh insulated you know my neighborhood my close friends the people i work with 
Um, you know, what about the people that live on the other side of the world or on the other side of town? Uh, you know, they eat different foods than me. Uh, like I think of like all these great the immigrant stories that have come out. You know, I think people that have seen a lot of read or seen a lot of great immigrant stories have a lot of compassion for Im folks who immigrate to America, mm -hmm. the fear, the unknown, the scariness. Um, and they wanna, they wanna serve, they wanna say, be hospitable and welcome and not be xenophobic or hateful um, or fearful. And I think uh, mm -hmm. the imagination plays such an important role um, in, that, in that process. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. And, and I think that this also ties back to just what else I felt like was an incredibly key point and you illustrated it so beautifully, but that kind of already not yetness, And so knowing that God has done this work, but there's still a whole part of it that we're living into and implications. And, and so I think this concept of imagination plays into that too, as we imagine what it looks like to, to live in this place where we are fully reconciled. And so both that imagination piece that that already not yetness that you were talking about yesterday, it's very much a call. That's very much a call on our lives as far as our own particular spiritual disciplines. But I think when we start talking about mission and our work in the world, like I, I yeah, that's good. That imagination is very much part of that mm -hmm. call to mission, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the already not yet is really tough because it it yeah. You have to hold, well, F. Scott Fitzgerald has this famous essay in Esquire magazine, I think in the 1950s, it was called The Crack Up, and he's kind of coming unglued at the seams, and he says, he says, the sign of a first-rate intelligent is to be able to hold two opposing propositions in your mind at the same time and still maintain the ability to function. Okay. Oh, gosh, okay. And so can we hold these things, these truths that God has achieved this in Jesus Christ but there's still living into it. There's still, there's implications. It's, there's still. And we're ambassadors of that message. Um, but that, that takes, you have to live with faith that this is true, mm. but then you also are living by hope that, that it mm. can get better, that you're working towards um, uh, the kingdom of God. And that's mm -hmm. actually, that quote yesterday from the Confession of 1967 says, we should not confuse uh, progress here on earth as the institution of the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an apocalyptic vision that only God can eventually bring about. We're working towards it. We're partners, we're co-workers in that, but only God can bring that about. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that was so beautiful about the illustration you used yesterday. I, I had not heard that yesterday with the, um, the Japanese officer because, um, oh gosh, it was so good in so many ways and so many levels, but just that like um, when he, he thought for however many years that was, 29 years, he thought he was like fighting for what's right when it, in, in real life, he maybe was doing more damage and and so this idea that like if we are working toward the kingdom then what does that look like and being really thoughtful and intentional about what it looks like to be co-workers with God as we're bringing in the kingdom and um and doing that in a way that is really faithful and thoughtful and and vulnerable um, to your earlier point being willing to listen to one another and and care for one another oh, oh, that was such a great illustration yesterday
Well, thank you. I've been, I've been I've I've had that in my back pocket for a while, so I've been waiting to use it. So it was, it was kind of fun. Although I I have no idea if I pronounce this name right. It's Hiru and Anoda. I, I think that's right, but I don't I don't speak Japanese. But it's a fascinating story, and I just you just feel for that guy, you know, so passionately. And I mm. I think in today's world where we have so many messages hitting us from left and right. Um, you know, we have this idea of fake news. Um, what's the truth? Is there truth? How do we know mm -hmm. when it is? Uh, how do we know when we're being manipulated by an algorithm and yeah. not actually hearing the truth? I think we kind of, in some ways, can identify with hero. And sometimes we don't know. And so I think we have to be very careful about judging other people and judging ourselves. And we also have to be circumspect about our own presuppositions our own assumptions about the world and our lives um and i think there's certain kinds of religion that are ossified by that i mean they turn they try to turn you into bone into stone mm. that you can't change but mm. i think our world and, and and that feels good right because it gives you fundamentalisms kind of function like this because they pr they protect you from the change that is happening in the world Yes. And oftentimes we want to retreat from the change that's happening in the world because it's, we have to change. It's scary, all this. But I think the reform tradition, we're reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. That's one of our slogans that we're always listening. God, how do I need to change? How do I need to adapt? Do we need to write a new confession? Is it time? Um, the ending, there will never end uh, when we need to continue to update and write new confessions and catechisms and creeds. Mm -hmm. So, if that's the case, I think that our our kind of version, tradition of religion is really helpful because it adapts along the way mm. um, to a new context. And we never think, we never feel like we've fully figured it all out or, you know, we never can assume that we're right about everything, that it's always, we're always mm. having to rethink. And, um, and that's one of the reasons I've been so attracted to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I also don't want us to finish um, this but until I call out this other super powerful quote, the one from Wendell Berry, when you talked about there's um, the sacred and desecrated places that because all ground is holy ground. So good. That was so good. That's one of my faves. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, Wendell Berry's and that whole, I, if you've never read that poem, How to Be a Poet, I would highly, because it's, it's how to be a poet, but it's how to be a human being that pays mm -hmm. attention to life. And, and knows how to see the world in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's very, mm -hmm. and if you know Wendell Berry, I mean, he's been very, um, put his money where his mouth is in terms of the ecological crisis, being a farmer, how do we provide food for people um, that's, that's healthy, that's, um, that's uh, um, not just cheap, but that's um, affordable for folks, but also quality. Um, and so he's been very prophetic in many ways in his, um, in his work. And so I've always loved that quote there. Um, so good. And just this con constant reminder to looking back at how God's at work. And, and so then what does it look like for us to partner with God at work? And are we doing that in a way that is sacred or we're we doing it in a way that desecrates this space that God's given us? It, that was so good. I had not heard that quote before. Okay, one last question, because I know we're trying to, um, moving toward the end, but just, um, I, this is just such an important, right? Like, I mean, our whole faith and theology is kind of based on this idea of um, the redemption of God and reconcil 
God reconciling people and to God's self, but then to one another. And so I'm just wondering in your own personal life, how have you seen this played out? How is this, how, how is this, yeah. How's this been at work in your life? Well, I, I remember, um, I was leading a Bible study with some students at Georgia State. And I remember, um, I was, I was like, I think there were 20 of us and I was, I think I was one of two white uh, people in the study. And I remember I said something that I realized was really offensive and ignorant. And I had to call this young gal and apologize and say, I was so sorry. And luckily she was so gracious and, um, and really loving and uh, forgiving, but it was really, it was really embarrassing to me um, as kind of the person that was, it was farther along in the journey and should have, like not make stupid uh, statements. And it was, and so that was a, a really reconciling um, opportunity. We're still friends and, and that was great. But I think um, I've had to, <laughs> I've seen that uh, in my own life, just having to um, sometimes suck up my pride and apologize for various things. Um, and, you know, and there's certain th things that I still need to be reconciled to people and I haven't seen the light and, um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm a work in progress. Well, well, thanks for sharing that story, but we all are, which is kind of the point is that we're all still in process. Yeah. And so our, part of our call is to continue to be part of that process too. So yeah, it was a fantastic sermon. I really, I appreciate your words, your wisdom and your perspective on all that. I thought it was really, really good. And then next week, uh, Dan's preaching on the Belhar confession oh, yeah, comes yeah. out of South Africa. Um, it's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited, you know, cause Dan has a, you know, a different experience than us. I mean, he lived, uh, you know, in New Zealand for I think 20 some odd years. And so he kind of has a different perspective on the American church, uh, and maybe what we need to hear from the global church, uh, you know, mm -hmm. from a confession that was written, I think 1983, uh, out of apartheid and, um, I hope he's going to tell the story in South Africa about how some theological presuppositions and beliefs through the Reformed Church coming out of um, Dutch Reformed uh, thinking got kind of embedded in South Africa and was used to justify apartheid. And so I think yeah. this is a warning to us about how we do theology, how we think about our faith, and we need to be careful about what we assume and presume um, about God's uh, endorsement of our maybe prejudices, um, ways we think the world should be arranged and things like that. So I'm excited. Absolutely. It'll be great. And Lindsay, and yeah. closing the distance next week, we know that Carrie Weatherford is going to interview Dan. And we do yeah. know that she, she's got a bone to pick with Dan. So I'm looking for some fireworks next Monday. I hope we don't shut down the internet, man, because I think she's going after him. I'd say watch out. Well, and the word on the street is, you know, she's supposed to be on vacation next week. And she said, no, no, Monday at noon, I am not on vacation. I am coming to, to interview Dan. Like, this is no joke. <laughs> That's awesome. dude. She's going to be well yeah. rested, too. Watch out, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, so that we will be looking forward both to his sermon, but also to the interview next Monday. So thanks for this, Jeff. I appreciate it. Always grateful for time with you. Thanks, Lindsay. I really appreciate you. Have a great week. Thanks. You too.